Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Plant-Based Superpower Mom podcast. I'm Emily Wood, your host, and today we are speaking with Karen Gibson. Karen is a registered dietitian in Sweden, but she is now living in New York City and working as a plant-based nutrition coach, and the name of her practice is Grazing Greens, so if you want to check out more about Karen and what she does, go to grazinggreens.com. Uh, but another cool thing is that she primarily works with plant-based and vegan women and children and families, so similar to what I do, so we have a lot of cool stuff to talk about. So Karen, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, me too. So I have to start by asking because... I just love to know what people do around the world and kind of what their cultural and eating habits are like. So what are the cultural eating habits over there in Sweden? Yeah, that's a good question. It is um, quite different from here, I'd say, although it's, I think it's all over the world, you know, it's kind of getting more and more similar. Uh, but since Sweden is surrounded by a lot of waters, we eat a lot of fish. But because it's also very uh, high up north, it's, you know, the climate is pretty cold, especially during the winter. So we also tend to eat a lot of meat. And when it comes to vegetables and things, we tend to eat more like um, root vegetables and things which last longer in the winter. Because obviously we can't grow like fresh fruit and, and veggies all year around. We have a very, you know, just a couple of few months in the summer where we can have kind of fresh produce and then... We are good at more storing techniques and um, how to preserve vegetables and um, yeah, fruits and berries and mushrooms. So we're good at foraging, but we, you know, we have to kind of use the summer half of the year to do that. And then in the winter, we eat more like tend to eat more root vegetables, potatoes, fish, and meat. Um, so I'm definitely not grown up as a vegan uh, or a plant-based. Uh, yeah, I didn't have a plant-based lifestyle when I grew up, but I think. Um, yeah, plants definitely have a a big space in the diet, although not maybe the plants that typically eat now, like legumes, you know, those foods are not so weren't so common when I grew up. We had like I think it was called brown beans, were the only beans I kinda of knew about, but you know, all the like quinoa and chickpeas and the tempeh, tofu, those things I had never heard about when I grew up. So, so what, what made you decide to switch over to the plant-based eating pattern? So I think it was around, I mean, it's been very gradual in one way, because when I was around probably eight, 10 years old, I started to ask my mom and my family more questions about like, how can we do this to animals? Why do we eat pigs and things like that? I think all kids actually grow up with a strong compassion for animals. I think that's just naturally how we humans are. But we kind of get trained to like accept that, you know, we keep animals in in uh, barns and we have them there to get the milk and to get the meat and everything. And that's how I grew up because I grew up on a farm. Although my parents were weren't farmers, like the, the ones next door were. And so I just like you know you just hear over and over again, yeah. But the pigs, you know, we have to slaughter them. We have to slaughter the cows, and that's how it is. So, but I think in me it was something I still kept on questioning and. I remember, yeah, around 10 years old and up, I think I was probably a teenager, 13 or something, when I said to my mom, I'm going to stop eating animals. This doesn't feel right for me. Um, so I stopped eating meat at that time, but I kept eating fish and egg and milk because somehow I, you know, 
you think that they have a, you at least don't kill them or I guess you kill the fish, but yeah, you. Yeah, it's kind of a different like view. I, I think a lot of people would agree, like the vegetarian thing, a lot of people still eat the fish and the dairy, kind of what you're describing, because they think it's not as maybe harmful to the animals as mm -hmm. eating the chicken and the beef. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, that's kind of how I, how I put it. And also it was a way to, to do it with a little more ease, I think. For me, like going vegan at that time, I mean, I don't even think I knew anyone was vegan. I, I, I knew what a vegetarian was, but, but yeah. And then when I got older, I think I was probably around more 20 and I started to be more interested in plant-based eating. So I think I sort of naturally eat, ate more vegan food, but I still, I still had a vegetarian or lacto-ovo-vegetarian diet with fish. It was actually first when I came to the US when I dropped egg, fish, and uh, dairy. Because when I came here, it was a step to, it was, yeah, one step further away from how I wanted these products to be produced for me to sort of justify eating them. Because I remember I like tried to find good milk or, you know, it looked so pretty on the package, like organic or, but it, I just felt like, no, this is not right. And I heard about all the antibiotics they give to the animals. And yeah, for me, it was just, it, um, I got more, yeah, I questioned that even more when I got here. And I also got in touch with more people who lived the plant-based lifestyle and the vegan trend is obviously quite big here. It wasn't as big when I moved as it is now, but it was easier for me to do the switch here. And I think also when you're growing up, you're so used to just eating your the, the things you're used to and you're just in that loop whether when you change country and you change culture and environment it's kind of easier to start from scratch and do something different mm -hmm. so i'm pretty much been plant-based since i uh, moved here and this is all i know here now i just think this is you know this is how it should be and this is so easy and this is my lifestyle now so it's almost harder when i go back because then i yeah i it's it's kind of tempting to fall back into old routines or old habits, but, but uh, instead of taking the opportunity actually to come back and kind of, you know, teach my family and my friends about how I live now. And, and it's really they're inspired and, and uh, I think they, they're quite excited about it because obviously the trend, the plant-based trend is definitely, definitely growing in Sweden too. Is it? Yeah. That was going to be my next question was, you know, what's it, what's it doing over there? I, I mean, I think it's, yeah, I mean, it definitely seems to be growing all around the world, which is super cool. And going back to when we were talking about vegetarianism, is that, you know, even if you start by just eliminating, I don't know, I call them like the heavier meats, like the chicken and the beef and the pork, and you're still eating some fish or dairy, I mean, any step that you make in that direction to eating a more plant-based diet is just, I mean, it's just, it's something that needs to be congratulated and something you should feel good about because sometimes it is a gradual transition and that is perfectly okay because every little bit helps and it may not seem like it because you're one person but collectively when everybody's making those little steps I mean together it has a huge impact oh absolutely I, I, I couldn't agree more with you and I think that's I'm so glad you brought that up because that's also how I relate to my uh, clients in my practice like I'm you know, specialized in plant-based diet and that's what I focus on but I'm very clear with anyone who comes to me that they don't need to be fully plant-based they don't need to define themselves as vegan or anything you know whatever level they are on it's what's good for them and you know I try to just help navigating their sort of diet choices to be the best as you can based on their their wants and their food preferences I think and and I think that's also how I sort of relate to my family too like my mom and dad as 
you know, they've just been inspired and like interested. So they eat more plant-based now, but they're far away from fully plant-based. My husband is not fully plant-based. So it's, you know, like you say, any little change towards eating more vegetables and fruits and, you know, plants is not only good for their own health, it's good for the planet and for everyone, but it doesn't need to be, yeah, I, I don't think anyone should strive for like a perfect diet because I don't even know if there is a perfect diet. It's more about yeah. better choices and small changes. They matter, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a very, I mean, my philosophy is definitely very similar to yours. And you have to adopt this lifestyle in a way that's sustainable for you. So if you know going like hardcore right out of the gate isn't really realistic for you in your life right now, um, then, you know, you, you make the changes that you can, and then you just make greater steps along the way and, and just kind of find your comfort level, your happy medium, depending, I always tell people too, depending, you know, a lot, some people, maybe if they have some severe chronic disease, you have to be a little more strict in the beginning, but you, you have to take it for, for where you are as an individual. What are your goals? What do you need and want to achieve at that time? And, and work within that umbrella instead of comparing yourself to everybody else who looks like they may be, might be perfect, but as you mentioned, you know, no, nobody's perfect. I, I just don't believe that either. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're so right. And I, and I also think it's worth mentioning, once you start eating more plants, especially if you come from a standard American diet, but even a pretty Swedish diet, like, the benefits are coming very quickly and they obviously look different for each individual. Like some people feel they get better digestion or better, potentially better skin or better, you know, they're losing weight, they're losing weight or they feel more energized, they sleep better, or they may see it on their lab results if that's what they're, you know, they had issues with high cholesterol or something like that before. But yeah, athletic performance or running and things like that is also quite, it, it does um, benefit, I think comes pretty quickly. So once you start kind of deciding like, I want to go towards a more plant-based diet, I think the sort of snowball effect is, is quite uh, strong. And most people I meet who have started, they just like, wow, I can't believe how much better I feel now. And they kind of, that motivates them to continue. And I think that's really beautiful because it shows, it's, yeah, it, you get the effect pretty quickly and uh, most often they go maybe even further than they were you know, expected to do from the beginning, which is awesome. But. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know. I feel so good. I, I, I want to do more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought I felt great before and I thought that, yeah, I was a dietitian. I ate mostly, you know, vegetarian and some fish, but I felt like I had a really healthy diet and I think my friends looked at me and thought, oh, she's eating so healthy potentially compared to you know, the general population, mm -hmm. but my God, I can't believe how, how much better on so many different levels I feel now. Uh, so yeah, it's really, really rewarding to eat this way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. So, um, I know, I know that you're, you're a mom, which we'll get into in just, in just a few minutes, but I want to go back to something that, um, that you mentioned to me that I thought was really interesting is that you help moms transition their children to eating solid food and um, I, I think a lot of moms have some questions when when it's time to do that when is the right time what foods do I introduce what kinds of foods um, like do I do the store-bought do I make my own all, all of these questions that kind of come up in a lot of moms minds so uh, can you talk about that just a little bit for us yeah of course I love that that topic actually um, and so my clients are either Either they aren't um, plant-based from the beginning, but they just 
start to think more about food and nutrition and what they're eating when they get a child. And I think that's very common. We start to like want to make the best of our health and everything when we have a child. We, uh, so they might reach out to me because they're like, oh, hey, I, we have got, we've got a baby now and we really want to start eating better at home. So they want to eat more plant-based and, and that's why they contact me because they might not be sure about how, how to do that with children. Uh, but I also see a lot of clients who are, who have been vegans or for maybe, you know, 15 years, but suddenly either they get pregnant or they have a baby and they, you know, you suddenly have a, oh, sorry, suddenly have a new human being to be responsible for. And you like maybe get questions from others, but you also question yourself. It's like, is my diet choice or my lifestyle, is this healthy? Is this good for my baby? And, and then they might seek support to just sort of verify that what they're doing is, is right and learn how to do it right. Uh, so those are the, the main clients I see. And so if they come to me and they have, um, you know, a baby who's like five, six months old, something like that, and they want to start solids, obviously first I go through that they know the signs of readiness in a child. Because some children are ready before six months old. Some are not ready until, you know, a couple of weeks later or even a month later. And more important than just looking at the age of the child is looking at their readiness. So Babies should be able to sit upright with either little or minimal, little or no support even. And they should have their head upright. They should be interested in food. So you, I, I remember just my child, like you could see when she was five months old, she didn't really care when we were eating. She was just happily sitting there with us with quite a lot of support. But, but once she got closer to six months, she started to like wanted to have the same food as us, or reach for the food or look at it. And so that's a positive sign. They also start to grab foods and grab toys and sort of put them in their mouth with intention and they also should have lost their uh, tongue trust reflex which is you know the typical thing when babies put in and out their tongue all the time so that they should be able to move the uh, tongue sideways and actually you know um, uh, keep some food in their mouth um, so those are the signs which first of all should be there before you even start and I know I, I have to interject really quick because when you were talking about the age my one son, he was going on four months and he just, um, well, I breastfed him only for maybe like a month. And then he was so difficult to breastfeed. So we, we transitioned him to formula. I breastfed my other son a lot longer, but, um, he was just so hungry all the time. I mean, we were giving him like massive amounts of formula and, and I was a lot of that you hear, Oh, they gotta be six months before you introduce the salads and, you know, being a new mom, you know, you, you don't really know any better. So I was like, oh, I really should wait. And then when I talked to the pediatrician, they're like, they're like, no, just introduce some stuff. He's clearly very hungry. He clearly liquids are not enough for him. So he like just turned four months and we started giving him solids. So that was an instance where the kid would have been starving for the next two months if we would have just stuck on like the age thing, like you were talking about that. You shouldn't just go by that. There's a lot yeah. of these other signs. Um, but yeah, yeah, go ahead. I just had to throw that out there because it's like, yeah. you, can, you can tell when they're ready. I mean, you can look for these signs. Yeah, no, 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 you're sure. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's also, if they do already at four months old, that is very early, you can start a little bit. And uh, in Sweden, we, have, we call it taste sensations, which means that you actually, you don't give them so much like volume of food. So it's not really like a start of a meal, but it's more like that they get to taste what you're eating. You might put your little spoon in, there is a spoon in your food or even your finger and let them lick on it because that's really good for also building up their acceptance for different um, flavors and you know they start building their um, taste preference 
very early on. So the more different flavors and even textures soon later on, the more they get exposed to during the first year in life, the higher the chances that they will have a broader acceptance for different foods as they grow up and, you know, less risk for picky eating. So, so, you know, you can start very gentle, but I think around sometimes six months mark is probably when you, you know, want to start with more volumes. Uh, but again, of course, if you have a child who's not ready at six, there's no reason to stress about it because formula or breast milk will obviously support the child with, with all the nutrition and energy they need uh, up until then. Um, but yeah, some, somewhere around that age, um, you can start. And if you have a plant-based child or you want to raise them plant-based, I say it's good to think about iron-rich food in the beginning because so one of the reasons actually we say around six months it's good to start with solids is because that's the time when we know that breast milk starts to be a bit depleted in iron or the, actually the iron content like decreases in breast milk and, and baby's iron stores can be depleted. It varies from baby to baby, of course, but, but that's one of the reasons why we say, you know, around that time it's pretty good to start with solids. And so I always recommend... Um, kind of have an idea or learn where you can find iron rich foods. So that would be in um, legumes, for instance. So you can start gently with some uh, tofu or even uh, beans, chickpeas, lentils and things. Uh, of course, it's really good to introduce fruit and vegetables in the beginning. And those are probably what you maybe start with, you know, the first couple of weeks when it's really, really small, small portions. So like it could be really soft boiled sweet potatoes, avocados, carrots, uh, also melon, you know, strawberries, those things which are really, really soft. And it also depends on if you do the sort of spoon feeding approach, so you puree food before or mash them with the fork, or if you go for the finger foods directly, the, the baby led weaning approach. It's kind of two ways to do it. And I don't think you, as a parent, you don't even need to choose. You can do a bit of both and see what your child is up to or what they seem interested in. Um, but I do think it's, yeah, if you do decide to spoon feed most of the food, I think it's good to, you know, let the baby has a chance to sort of play or explore foods with their fingers too. So you can like, you know, have something in the meal which they can hold in their hand. Um, and some babies may put their hands in their mouth and start sort of understanding that that's where the food is going to go very quickly, whether others might might be eight months old and they still haven't really, yeah, they still don't really feed themselves. So that can also come at different ages, but I think giving them chances to practice is good. Um, but yeah, back to what you start with. Um, so yeah, I think the very, very first, first days and first week, I think definitely fruit and vegetables boiled, either mashed with a fork or in small, small strips. I usually say uh, that if they do finger foods, they, the size of the the food should be your little pinky finger. No, yeah, exactly a little pinky finger. And you should be able to squash the food with your uh, thumb and forefinger, because then it's soft enough for the baby to chew it, even if they don't have teeth, because most babies obviously don't have teeth at that age. So that's a good good um, size. Um, but yeah, as, as they've sort of, you know, started to like a few of these uh, fruit and veggies, you can go over to more legumes, which are a little bit more iron rich. You can also start with some whole grains, uh, of course, mash them or I thought it was hard to, you know, sort of giving rice. Those things were hard in the beginning. So I tend to more make things like I could make chickpea pancakes. I could make buckwheat pancakes because they were so soft and so easy to 
sort of cut and give her in the right size. And the same with beans and lentils, like a, a little black bean, the baby, when it, the baby is around six months old or even seven, they don't have the pincher grabs to pick up one of those small beans. So they, they are still eating with their palm grasp, like they grab everything with their whole hand. So I just had to work around that with making like bean burgers or lentil patties or kind of making things with them instead. So I think that's really where we started making, yeah, making a lot of burgers sounds so like not, you know, it doesn't sound like a baby food, but I'm obviously I'm talking about homemade bean burgers. Mm-hmm. And then maybe put sweet potato in them or carrots or something to sort of make them really soft and yummy. Um, so those were the foods. And then um, speaking about iron, um, to really, really maximize the iron absorption, both in obviously adults and in children, but I think it's extra important in, in infants and babies and toddlers, uh, is to pair whatever they're eating with something rich in vitamin C, because studies have shown that you can really increase the iron absorption up to five times by you know, pairing the iron-rich food with the vitamin C-rich food. And most often that comes pretty naturally. You might give them, yeah, you might give them a bean burger, maybe a little bit of avocado and, and a little bit of melon or some kind of fruit which has vitamin C. But if you don't, that's the trick I always say to parents. Try to think about having something rich in iron. So that would be a legume or whole grain or, yeah, you could maybe even make something with quinoa, like quinoa, um, yeah, patties or um, so something rich in iron, but then also pair it with something rich in vitamin C. And, you know, vitamin C you find in kiwi fruit, in, in uh, obviously all the citrus fruits, but also in berries, melons, mango. But it could also be a vitamin C rich vegetable. So it could be broccoli, cauliflower, bell pepper, tomato, something like that. And then you kind of cover two of the things you should try to have in a meal. So one protein rich, protein and iron rich food, one uh, fruit or vegetable. And then also think about having something rich in fat because babies do need higher fat content in their food that we adults. So I often say, you know, if, if I see someone who eat a very, very sort of healthy or low fat vegan diet, that's not really suitable for a child because yeah, you need to think about that the fat content needs to be a little bit higher. And, and uh, of course we have uh, nice or beautiful sources of fat in avocado and in all the nuts and seeds and those. So nut butters could be something like if you make a pancake or even give the baby sl- uh, you know, s- soft pieces of toast or toasted bread, you can um, spread a little layer of um, a thin layer of nut butter on it. You can also use, because nuts and seeds whole, of course, is not suitable for a baby. They can't even chew them and they could also yeah. be choked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you would think like, okay, I can't give this. But actually, they are good to start with, um, but just use them in different forms. Again, like ground them and use them in either, if, you, if you're spoon feeding, you can give them even smoothies, but make a high fat smoothie. So you maybe put avocado, nuts and seeds in the smoothie because then you know, they get those fat sources, but they're in a totally safe form. Uh, but you can also sprinkle uh, ground nuts on the food or, yeah, I might even have add nuts and seeds too, um, yeah, if I do burgers and, and patties and things. And as you probably hear when I refer to these foods, we did mostly baby-led weaning foods, so mostly finger foods, but we weren't like 100%. We, were, we, we tried to make it as easy as possible. So when it came, if we had done the soup, for instance, at home, of course we fed her a soup with her, with a spoon, or if we made a, 
curry or something, you know, we try to use mild spices, but we still fed that with a spoon because you can't really eat the, <laughs> eat the curry with. Yeah. We kind of adjusted to what what foods. We, we tried to give her as much food as we ate, but just um, sort of adjustified both the texture and the size of the food, but also tried to avoid, of course, salt the first year and not making it too spicy. Although kids, you know, most children like more spices than we think. So we don't need to be afraid for having flavored food, but just not hot food. Um, yeah, I've heard that, that some, um, some babies actually like, they like the more of the heat, but yeah, this, to add the spices too, because it goes along with the different tastes of the food, but also you're exposing them to a variety of these different flavors through the spices and herbs and things. So, um, yeah, definitely including, don't be afraid to include some of those, some of those things and just see how your baby responds to it. I mean, it's really like, as you mentioned before, all babies are different. So it's just really trying these things out and seeing how your particular child responds to some of these things. But could you, and you defined it a little bit, but this baby led weaning, it's, it's, really a hot topic I feel a lot of moms are getting more into it so can you tell us a little bit more about what that is yeah so baby led weaning is an approach which is um, that yeah instead of starting with the traditional spoon feeding method where parents are very actively feeding the child um, baby led weaning is as the name sort of reveals like it's a little bit more baby led like the baby's more active in the actual feeding process so what you do is, as a parent, you decide what the child should eat, uh, what foods you want to put on the plate in front of them or on the tray if they're sitting in a high chair. Uh, but then you kind of leave it up to the baby to sort of grab the food and put it in their mouth. Um, so you need to, of course, make sure that it is the right consistency, as we talked about before. It has to be soft and it has to be the right size. Um, but some children actually are eating better when they get to be in charge. Like they, they are more sort of happily eating then. And uh, yeah, as we said before, some maybe I'm not ready for this, but in general, I would say definitely wait until six months before you start this, um, this approach. I think giving um, food with a spoon, you know, could potentially start slightly earlier, but a baby led weaning is probably good to start until six months and at least until all the signs are there. Uh, and I think what this approach, the, so the, I don't know, if, I don't know if I should say the founders, but yeah, if you read about the benefits of it and what it actually uh, can provide a child with, is another experience when it comes to like they get to taste real food because often when we give them pureed food or even of course if you buy the pouches or store bought food, it's usually like five ingredients mixed all together. So they don't get to experience like an avocado tastes like an avocado or a um, soft boiled broccoli has that kind of a little bit bittery flavor because often the broccoli is in the pouch, but it's covered with apples or banana flavor. So it's been shown by seeing uh, by a baby like getting to explore all this different variety of foods and also different, you know, eating a mash or sorry, um, a bit of a broccoli has definitely a different texture than a, a bit of a melon or an avocado or, or a burger, as I talked about before, then getting different flavored purees because they all have the same texture. And, and if we can expose the baby to different types of textures, the more different textures they, they, um, they learn to accept early on, the more 
the risk of like picky eating or the, the higher the chances that they will accept more different textures and, and consistencies as they grow up. Because they simply just learn that food is not just one thing. It's like, it's like this comparison with like, you may have heard that like breast milk doesn't taste the same every day. It's like it tastes different, it's slightly different every day depending on what the mom has eaten. And uh, formula tastes the same every day. And so it's been shown that like breastfed babies may have a higher acceptance for different flavored food because they, are, they already know that it, it's not natural to taste the same every day. And it's a little bit the same with baby led weaning. They learn that food, it's not just one consistency or one flavor. It has so many different uh, textures and flavor and that, that can be positive. And also like the, the fact that they get to sort of play with the food, experience it with their hands. And it's obviously way messier for the parent. <laughs> they do squash the food and they, in the beginning, it might take even a couple of weeks before they even figure out how to, how to get the food in their mouth. And that's okay. That's part of the process. They, they explore it, they squash it, they drop it on the floor or they just smush it in the whole thing. But I think that's how they learn. And it, in one way, that's fun for the child. Like, and by having them being so active in the feeding process, that has been shown to like be... Yeah, positive, positive in their, especially in their acceptance for new foods. And I think another, there's some interesting studies also showing that when babies get to feed themselves and like tasting whole foods from the beginning, they may develop an earlier um, sort of um, be, be um, better self-regulation. So they learned earlier listen to the internal cues for hunger and fullness. So, there, I mean, there isn't a ton of research around baby led weaning, but these are some of the benefits that has been, been uh, shown by, by letting your child, child um, yeah, explore sort of finger foods from the beginning. Yeah, and I think the whole meal experience, it's the food, yes, obviously it's important that they're, they're eating these foods that are going to give them new nutrition to help them grow and thrive, but the whole meal experience, creating that pleasurable social meal experience is so, so important. I mean, really at any age, but if it's starting at such a young age, I mean, that's really setting up this foundation of creating that healthy relationship with food and making mealtime just an enjoyable experience. Because as we get older, a lot of us develop this fear of food because we're gaining unwanted weight or we're starting to have these health issues. So developing and being that example for your child and, and giving them the, the right foods. I don't like to use right or wrong, but mm -hmm. you know, the better choice foods and creating that whole experience. I mean, you're, you're really just setting them up for success in the long term. It's so important. Yeah. And one thing actually that's good to mention is that it's so easy when you, as a parent, when you're feeding them, a spoon and you have a certain amount on that plate it's easy to be like oh you just got three spoons left and you kind of you know you're really not maybe pushing the child but you know what I mean you're like oh we just got one three spoons left and kind of make the baby maybe eat a little bit more than he wants and when you if you do trust the baby led weaning approach you are supposed to really not interfere with the child so one meal the child might put like two three things in their mouth and may not want to eat much more and the next meal they might eat much more, but you should really like try to let them decide. So if let's say you have a plate and you provided, uh, let's say breakfast, you plop a couple of strips of um, pancake and then maybe a few pieces of um, 
um, strawberry and uh, yeah, let's say you only have those two things. It's up to the child to decide, do I want to eat both the strawberry and the pancake or just one of them and how much I want to eat of them. Uh, so, the, so the parent's responsibility is to provide like healthy and good food or whatever food they want on the plate, but then it is to, up to the child. So you also give them that sense of being in charge. And I think that's probably where it comes to that they may develop a better sense of uh, sort of listening to their own uh, own uh, signals. I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Their own hunger and satiety cues, yeah. which we've become way too out of tune with as adults. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are, definitely. We should trust that they are. I mean, healthy children, Richard, they rarely starve themselves. And it is so stressful though as a mom to have you know, if they have a bit of a cold or if there are days they're more tired or whatever, and they just don't want to eat so much. And most often, if they don't eat much for breakfast, they eat more for lunch or dinner. But there's going to be a day when they eat a little at every single meal. And then you're like, oh my God, she's eaten so little today. And you kind of get a mom. Yeah. Just trust that she'll be fine. And she, you know, she or he or she will eat more the next day. You know, if they are healthy, they will, they will regulate that himself and and also really keep in mind when you do this approach or either spoon feeding or the baby led weaning that breast milk breast milk or formula it's going to be a, a majority like a, or a main source of energy and nutrients for a while like obviously the switch of starting solids is a very very gradual process and each baby is so different some babies are going to love this new experience and you know might not even be so interested in a breast or a bottle anymore and some it might take months to build up the appetite for solids and and I really tend I really really want to say to parents that it's not so much about the volume they're eating it's more about giving them chances to practice it's more important that they get daily the baby get chances to practice daily rather than exactly how much they they eat so I try not to compare with other parents because or other babies in the same age because as with everything in life some some children need more practice for certain things and less practice on another thing. And some babies, you know, get it right away and just giving them chances to practice. That's what the parents sort of responsibility is, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great advice. And going back to my son. So my son, I mean, he's, he's four now, my youngest, he's definitely not a baby, but he is kind of one of those, I want to say he's like a front load eater. Like he eats a ton of food in the morning and the afternoon and then later on in the day, he doesn't really eat much dinner. He doesn't really have very many snacks, but that's just his eating pattern. He eats the bulk of his calories earlier in the day. And I, I don't, I don't push him to eat dinner because I know that's not healthy. I'm not going to force him to just get food down when he's not feeling hungry because he's, his body isn't, it's, it's not, you know, he's growing fine his weight, his height, everything's fine. He's very active. He's very healthy. So that's just his pattern. And that's, you know, that's okay. It, it goes yeah. back to every child being, being different. Absolutely. And actually, if he continues that way, he's set up for success. As yeah. you can, like, we yeah. always learn that we should eat a big breakfast, a medium lunch, and eat very light and healthy dinner, you know, although yeah. we pretend to do the opposite. So if he continues that way, he's you know, it's good to go into adulthood and that's a good thing. <laughs> I know, I was thinking that too. Uh, I actually just, I watched, um, this is a little off topic, but Dr. Michael Greger, he did this super long intermittent fasting webinar that I just listened to and it was so excellent. It was so, so good. But yeah, I mean, the research is showing that if you front load your calories, that you're, I mean, you're, you're doing yourself 
a favor by doing that. And, and it's, it's a better way to keep at this healthy weight and minimize your disease risk, risk is by actually, you know, eating, eating the right choice foods, eating them earlier in the day, not eating so much later in the day, uh, definitely not snacking <laughs> at night. Uh, but yeah, I was, I was fascinated to hear all that. I'm like, oh, wow, this is great. So it's all, you know, all confirmed that this is, what you need to do so don't skip breakfast yeah yeah no breakfast either it makes so much sense if you think about it we are active all day long and of course we need to load up with energy before but Mm. honestly like after eight o'clock how many people move (laughs) you know yeah you don't need a full stomach for sleeping like it might (laughs) like so yeah it, it definitely makes sense and actually uh one thing i just thought about which i forgot to say about baby food which i want to add and when I talked about iron-rich foods, one thing which is actually really helpful for parents to introduce at an early age is to yeah, use an iron-fortified baby cereal. Because the need for iron is so high the first couple of months, you know, the first between six and 12 months, and even the first, you know, the sort of second year in life too. So that could really be helpful. And, and again, like if you're doing the baby led weaning approach fully, like you might have to bake like oatmeal. You can, you can bake basically bake porridge in the oven and cut it up in strips and things. I, I could never be bothered to do that. I'm too busy. <laughs> so, I, you know, I just fed her with a spoon when it came to the baby cereal, but it is good to have for the babies to have like a portion of that every day. Cause that most of them provide like 45, 50% of the iron intake. So for me as a parent and a dietitian, I know how important iron is. I thought that was, it's kind of like, okay, I know she's got half of everything she needs in one meal. And then the rest she'll probably figure out and get from the food I provide her. And you know, there's nothing that says you can do it without, but it's harder. And iron deficiency is common in the first, you know, for, for babies and toddlers. So it's just, an, I just wanted to mention it because I think it's a very easy, easy um, to, way to, to um, to prevent iron deficiency and and also like in case anyone who listened to this have heard like oh but i've heard that the rice based ones are high in arsenic and they're dangerous and it's not good for baby like yeah there's some truth in that you shouldn't choose a fully 100 percent rice based one as i think it was even recommended like years and years back i don't know why but i think that was what was recommended to start with because that was for the stomach or something however like you don't need to do that and you shouldn't even do it like start just with an oatmeal based one or a multigrain one. Um, and then you can, you know, feel a bit like, okay, they've got, got a lot of iron through this. So yeah, yeah. I just want to that because that's a good tip, I think. Yeah, no, thank you. That's great. So that's a common question that I see come up too, especially about the rice. So, um, and then the cereals and all that. So that's, yeah. no, that's great. Thank you so much. Well, this was really awesome. This was super informative. I feel like we covered so many topics that a lot of moms have questions on. I mean, everything we talked about, I'm like, yep, I've seen that a thousand times. I've been asked that a hundred times. Like it's, it, this was really, really great. That's good. That's good. I'm glad, I'm glad, glad you say that. And, and of course, like if um, anyone decides to raise their child fully plant-based, uh, there are also supplements you need to think about because yeah. Uh, 100% vegan diet wouldn't be sufficient for a child or uh, without any any sort of supplement and especially B12 but there are also a few other supplements I usually recommend to I don't know if you want me to go through them now but I just wanted to mention that so I haven't come across as you know give your child a vegan diet and they will be fine and you know a vegan diet or a plant-based diet is is very healthy and can set up 
the child for lifelong health based on that they are you know eating all these foods we know are so healthy and good for us even up in adulthood like the of course the legumes the whole grains fruit and vegetables and everything uh, but because uh, childhood is a um, you know a very precious time of rapid growth and neurodevelopment and all that we also need to think about that it's completely uh, covers all the micronutrient needs so there are a few supplements I usually talk about yeah yeah if you could do a summary you just mentioned the b12 you mentioned the iron fortified cereal yeah what other ones would you recommend yeah so um vitamin d definitely and I think that's something that well, I know that the American Academy of Pediatrics recommend all breastfed babies to supplement with vitamin d, uh, vitamin d. Um, so that's something they should continue with of course um, so B12 for sure, like when they, when they start decreasing the formula or the breast milk so much of the solids is like a major part of the diet, I think it's time to start the B12. And there are B12 uh, sprays or drops you can use. Uh, so that's definitely important. And of course, the mom should have a fully, um, you know, good stores of B12 if they're breastfeeding too, very important. Uh, but yeah, vitamin B12 is important, vitamin D. Um, yeah, I think iron is fine. I, most often, I don't think any child need iron supplements, especially if they eat iron-rich foods or if they take the, the baby cereal. But that's something you can talk with your pediatrician about, and they will also do a check either at nine or twelve months for the iron stat status. Um, zinc, for instance, is uh, could be low in a vegan diet, uh, but I think thinking about having the whole grains and especially the ground nuts and seeds, you know, that, that should be fine. They should be able to get that through their diet. Um, the other supplements I talk about is one is omega-3. And that comes in at the same time as kind of, yeah, when you, when you basically wean your child off the breast milk or the formula, uh, if you've, of course, if you've chosen a formula with omega-3, I think uh, omega-3 is good to give to your child, especially the first two years in life. And they, you can also find them easily on, you know, buy them in health food shop or on Amazon. Uh, you can buy them in, they have like a Doppler. So you just measure, uh, yeah, you should provide about 10 to 12 micrograms per uh, kilo body weight of the child. And, you know, starting somewhere between six to 12 months or depending on how much formula breast milk they get. And the last supplement I mentioned, especially if they are fully plant-based, is iodine. Because iodine is a, uh, is a mineral, I think, especially over here, is often forgotten about. I feel like, I know in the UK, they have quite strong guidelines around it. And in Sweden, they do bring it up too. I feel we hear it here, but I think it's more kind of forgotten about here. Or I don't know why, but, but so for a um, vegan, vegan older child or an adult, if we use... Um, iodized salt in our cooking usually that provides enough or we maybe snack on seaweed or even use sprinkle seaweed on our food but seaweed is not that good to use as a only source of iodine for a child because seaweed is very unpredictable when it comes to how much iodine it's in it so you can buy seaweed and it has super super high amounts of iodine and you can buy seaweed that doesn't have so much and it's very hard to like get the right amount with that and because babies are so small and, you know, we don't want to risk anything, it's probably, I always recommend a supplement instead because then you can control like how much they get. So I'd say the same, when you basically at the same, same time as you start with omega-3, uh, I'm talking about omega-3 DHA, um, it's a good time to start with iodine too. So for a fully plant-based child, I would say vitamin B12, vitamin D, 
immediately in iodine, those four are good the first couple of years in life at least. Some people asked about calcium and calcium is a good question because calcium is, we, we associate it all the time with like eating dairy and cheese and, and that, but it's definitely doable to get enough calcium in a um, plant-based diet. Uh, and an easy thing for parents to do to ensure the calcium intake is after the baby has turned one, when it's, when it's okay to start introducing plant-based milks, uh, is to make sure that you always choose a um, calcium-fortified plant milk, ideally calcium and vitamin D-fortified one. Uh, and that could be part of, part of their, you know, diet. And, and in that case, you sh they, they provide, most of them provide the same amount of calcium as, as a calcium milk would do, or even more. So, you know, then you haven't lost out on anything when it comes to calcium. But those are the main, main micronutrients I, I talk about. And um, yeah, and, and I think it's important for parents and for, yeah, <laughs> for the vegan community, plant-based community, that, that we really do it right. Because if one child uh, turns out to get a deficiency on something, I mean, you know how it looks in the newspapers the next day. And obviously this is very traumatic and, and nothing we wanna want any child to, to have to go through. But it also not only get that, that specific child get to suffer, like it, it sort of puts the whole like, you can't feed your child a vegan diet or it's dangerous to feed a um, child a plant-based diet. So I think we also have a responsibility when we, when we choose to give our child, uh, children this diet, it's like to do it right because you know, it has, it's actually so healthy for them and so good for them. Uh, but we, we need to just make sure that we close those few gaps that it potentially could be in the diet. And not to sound like, I don't want to sound talk just about the risk, but as a dietitian, you become nerdy and you just want to make sure that everyone does everything, you know, in the right way. But to remember, like, obviously children growing up on a standard American diet and a lot of junk food, you know, they tend to get far too much salt, far too much sugar, the wrong sort of fat and, and they're so low in fiber they're often constipated you know they don't get nowhere near as much fruit and vegetables they should so we should we should not see that we, I mean a plant-based diet is really really beneficial and healthy for the child and good for their microbiome with all these different sorts of fibers and plants and and it's just that we need to make sure that the few few gaps there are in the diet that we fill them because then I think we really really optimize the diet for the child. Child. And compared to, like you said, the standard American diet, there's really just a few gaps. Not, I don't even know if I'd say a few in the plant-based diet, but when you think about kids who are eating the highly processed, lots of meat, lots of cheese, I mean, there are multiple, multiple gaps that are going on in that diet, multiple nutrition gaps. So when Absolutely. you compare the two, and I say this a lot, is you know, in babies, there are, you know, babies, pregnancy, there are obviously some special considerations, regardless of what diet you're following for that population. But it's really not the plant-based eaters we should be concerned about. It's really the people that are following the standard American diet that we should be worried about. Yeah, no. Backwards. <laughs> no, you're so right. I mean, it, it, it is, it's so, so, so true. And, and, um, and it, it shows, like, for instance, when I speak about iron deficiency, it's not more common in, in plant-based eaters. It's just as common in all children. Like, mm -hmm. it's just that because I work with plant-based children, I am so, like, I want to make sure everything is right and good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you're so right. Regardless of whatever diet the parents choose, like, we need to make sure it covers everything. And, and unfortunately, obviously, growing up with only a lot of processed food, and so it, it doesn't really start off that well. 
Yeah, I think a lot of us are in that same boat that are, you know, at our ages. That's just that's just how it was when we were growing up. We, you know, our parents, we didn't have the information that we do now, and or or maybe we did, but it just wasn't as mainstream as it is now. So now is the time to start our kids off on the on the right foot. Yeah, no, I definitely. I don't think we had the information. I mean. I think all of us grew up like thinking meat were really good for us. And, you know, we, yeah, yeah we had to eat it to be healthy almost like, yeah, yep. for yeah. sure. Absolutely. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much, Karen. This was amazing. And Karen is a beautiful website. So if you're looking to learn more about Karen, you can go to grazinggreens.com. And that link will also be in the episode description. So be sure to check it out. And definitely, yeah, if you're in the New York City area, I don't know where exactly you are, but if you are, I'm sure your address is on your website and you want to meet with Karen and get some info about plant-based, really anything, kids, pregnancy, breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you're on the right track for yourself, whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, all right, great. Well, I, um, once again, thank you so much, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoy speaking about this subject. I, I love talking about this. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah, it's great. It's opportunity. a subject, you know, you can go on and on and on. So maybe yeah. I'll have to have you back on to talk about pregnancy and breastfeeding. So that's a whole another topic in and of itself that lots of moms have questions on. Yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. So I want to thank everybody so much for listening. And we will see you next time. Yay. All right. Thank you so much again. I'll see you soon.